Hey guys, and welcome back to the Skullcast for episode 62. We are here to wrap up Lost Children, which, as many fans know, it's, it's a fan favorite. Lots of people love this section of the series, and this is the big climactic conclusion of it, where we have Guts kind of up on the ropes the entire volume. And that's actually what I find interesting about volume 16 in general, is the entire volume, he's we're seeing the physical limitations of Guts, and like basically when his... When he's against the ropes this for this long, like what he's able to accomplish just based on sheer instinct, sheer, you know, battle power. But before we get too deep into that, I wanted to say hello to our guest this time. We have M. M comes as one of our Patreon donors, so say hello and Hello guys and thank you for having me. It's it's really good to be here. Of course. Thanks for coming, man. And I just wanted to ask I usually ask people uh, how long have you been on this on the, the forum and how long have you been a fan of Berserk? Well, uh, I've been a fan of Berserk since uh, 2001, give or take, uh, when a friend of my mine lent me the, the episodes before they came out on DVD. Mm. So it was basically the Japanese version uh, with subtitles. And it just uh, it just caught me. After it, I wanted to know more. And then I found out uh, that SkullNight.net existed. And I went in to see exactly what happened after the eclipse. Awesome. Yeah, that's pretty much why this site existed in the very beginning. You know, in the beginning, when Balter created Skull Knight, uh, it was pretty much just a place to tell people, yeah, here's what happens, you know, directly after the eclipse. So that makes sense. Uh, that's an yeah. exciting time to be, to join the Bre- Berserk community. To me, like, there's, to me, like, the two big milestones from, from the past 20 years, there's Griffith being incarnated, and then there's the world merging. To me, those are the two like super exciting times to be part of the community because the the possibility space suddenly explodes about what's coming next, that kind of stuff. So that's cool that you got on that at that point. Yeah, but I actually didn't register until 2008. Oh my goodness! Was just mostly lurking. Yeah. That is a professional career of lurking. That's seven straight years of lurking. Wow! <laughs> you should put that yeah. on your resume. You know, I, I don't have many posts. So I, I guess that uh, that explains it. I don't really <laughs> post that much. That's fine. Well, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, well, actually, Emma, I wanted to ask you, what do you think of Lost Children? Because I haven't really asked our guests that, and I, I, it's always like in my head, it's like one of the it's the one or the ones people always mention as being their favorite. But like, what's your take on it? What's your how, where do you put Lost Children in your lineup? Yeah. You know, I actually don't don't think I have ranked them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I liked it. I like it a lot. I think it's a fantastic part. But you know, the more I went into Berserk, the more I I realized that it's uh, it's really. I mean, some of the of the parts are really. I mean, it, it can be quite scary, downright scary at some point. Uh, you know, last podcast you were talking about the 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 elves playing war and and stuff. Maybe we will touch on that on this podcast too. And that was just. I mean, a bit. Uh, you know. Hard to handle in some sense. Sure. Uh, but I think it's a fantastic story. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Rosine and Yale and everything, it, it just fantastically went on. And it holds on uh, on its own, really. I mean, it, even if you extract it, it's still a, a very self-contained story that is fantastic, I think. Yeah, I agree. It's one of those weird... We talked about it at the beginning, but it is... You're right, it is very self-contained. It is... And that's kind of what... When I first brought up Lost Children when we started this podcast, I came out swinging saying that I I didn't like how self-contained it was directly after the eclipse. About, you know, directly after Mira has this, you know, huge change in the series, he he embarks on a 
self-contained story that doesn't necessarily further the direct plot, you know. But I, I've kind of come around on that view. I thought that was a little too brash of a of a sentiment because it's <laughs> it's not really how I feel. Uh, looking back <laughs> on the series now, you were uh, just doing like a berserk hot take. Yeah, I was doing. I was do, you know, as if I was giving quotes for TMZ. That's what I would have said, yeah. you know, to make sure I got myself in the article. I would have said something like that. It would just be a. a- two-second flash of your face going, Lost Children, overrated. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Well, I think it's interesting to think about, you know, his purpose in making it so self-contained. Like, did he just want to, was it, you know, basically, we probably talked about this when we started it, but sort of, you know, resetting, like, okay, I'm moving the story forward again, and I'm reestablishing the Black Swordsman. I probably don't want to have him, you know, fight Griffith, you know, Mm -hmm. right away, or the God Hand, or... You know, so let's do something where it's like his life as the Black Swordsman, kind of get us reoriented back to the first three volumes and sort of, you know, how he existed and then synthesize that with how it's going to be going forward. I think the the structure of it is very similar, as you say, to volumes one through three, just in terms of this being about an apostle kind of creating their own kingdom, using their power, using their evil power, you know, what they would do within that space. Yeah, but also it's you know you're right. It is you have to think about Mira's intentions with this particular section coming directly after the eclipse. I, th- I think I think the fact that it is self-contained really does kind of spell that out for us. He wanted to do a story that wouldn't necessarily uh, move things forward too quickly, where he could still explore the space that he creates just within the, that three-volume span. I think that makes yeah, some yeah. kind of sense. He wanted to tell a story that wouldn't. Imp- he also needs some some practical time to go by for the reader, you know, where it's yeah. like, if, so it's not like, oh, and here's the new Casca, you know, and all that, where it's like, oh, oh well, that's that, that's a little jarring. But it's, it's fun. Also, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. It's also the last time we get to see Guts as a Black Souls man alone with Puck, you know, yeah. going after an apostle. After that, the plot <laughs> moves forward, you know, up until uh, Femto's incarnation, and that really doesn't, you know, happen ever again. So I, I think at that point, Mira knew it was going to happen, and uh, he deliberately wanted to first reestablish the Black Swordsman and uh, second, you know, have that one last, you know, uh, nice little adventure, you know, before things moved past that era. Yeah, and regarding the Black Swordsman, it's also one of his darker moments here because he gets so separated from Puck becomes kind of like a lone agent out there in the Misty Valley. And as I started this podcast by saying, he's physically exhausted, physically as extremes. And, you know, Puck's not necessarily there to recuperate him and to to help guide him. And so he doesn't have any restraints in this section. You you see him struggling with why he's holding back to just completely obliterating Roisin. And so... I don't think he's just actually physical. I think he's also psychologically, you know, very jarred, you know, at this mm-hmm. point. Uh, like you say, he doesn't really know. Like, he doesn't, you know, kill Rosin when he has the occasion, but he's very conflicted about it. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, in, in, independent of before Puck comes on the scene in Volume 1, it, it really is, to me, this is his darkest hour, what he does in this in this particular section. Uh, but mm-hmm. Guts, you know, hiding in, uh, from... Rasheen waiting for an opportunity, even though he could have saved Jill, you know? That yeah. particular moment was pretty dark for Guts, and, and Puck calls him out on it, of course, and Puck actually, you can see him processing that in that scene. It's interesting. Mm. I think part of uh, his being conflicted is interesting, too, just because, I mean, her being a child, it really sort of takes the righteousness out of, you know, his his crusade here. 
Because, I mean, it's like, is she as much a victim, you know, as he is, basically? You know, she made this decision when she was a little kid. So, I mean, it's not like the... It's not like she went in cahoots with, you know, the god hand, you know, with her eyes wide open. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And that's something we talked about before, was how unique Roshin is in that, because of that, because of that childlike, when, when she was, you know, taken in early, how cruel it was to give a child that kind of power and to make that kind of decision. Yeah. And Guts and Must knows that as well. But we'll go ahead, go ahead and get started. I like these um, opening shots we have here. Uh, oh, f- what am I talking about? We need to get started on the cover, don't we? Yeah, and that's, that cover is especially, you know, worth mentioning. It's like the most unique. Oh, wow. That, that's, where you're, that's the angle you're going to take. I have written down here, worst cover ever? Check. <laughs> it is the worst Berserk cover. Now, I don't, I don't want to pick on it too much because it's fine as it is, but it's shitty in comparison to every other cover in the series and, and us knowing what Miura is capable of. Well, you know, the thing is, I, I wouldn't necessarily say shitty, because I think, you know, like, if you just look at it from a purely art, you know, point of view, it's, it's you know, mighty fine, but... That's what I'm saying. Is, it, it's so generic, it's just, you know, it doesn't, you know, it's nothing... <laughs> I especially refer- like the, the generic monster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah super <laughs> generic. It, it doesn't refer to anything at all, so, yeah, it's pretty, pretty funny to me. Um, I actually, just before this show, I had some time to kill, and I was looking through some of the old art book stuff, and I think it's in Warcry, we see some uh, paintings from this period that he had done, they weren't incorporated into covers, like for example, there's the one where he's battling a horde of monsters, he has the dragon slayer pulled at his side, Uh, there's one where he's like fighting one of the monsters from the eclipse, looks like kind of the Cthulhu thing with two ventricles on the side of his head. But uh, both of those are pretty excellent, and neither of those were incorporated as covers. They're just kind of just scattered on the side. I think if you maybe are by the the Italian editions, you might get those as covers because they split the volumes up differently for those. But other than that, no one's going to see those covers. Instead, he gives us this one, which is like, uh, I mean, I'm guessing he was pressed for time. That's the only thing I can think of for why this cover was chosen. Well, since I think it's actually can of worms. Is it really worse than like volume two's color cover where it's like it's a white background and he's just working on his like equipment? Oh, two's cool. You got to see the little. I mean, it's a weird cover, but I like how uh, it's kind of. Okay, I thought I, I was like wanting to take that tack that it's you know it's different. <laughs> it's kind of intimate and neat. But... Exactly. Yeah, it's a day in the life of guts. You break it apart as equipment. That's a, I think it's kind of. But you're right. It is a weird choice for a cover, especially for the second cover. Yes. <laughs> like it's not like we're you know twenty in where it's like oh neat a deeper look. Look, you know, it's yeah. like part two. Yeah. Fixing stuff. But yeah, this this is a weird cover. I don't even like the background, really, that looks almost like, you know, it looks like when I was a kid when I would fill in things with colored pencil. <laughs> like the, yeah. the, way it's the vanishing points are very, it's arbitrary, and all that stuff is just, whatever. It's it's fine. It's, it's, not, it's not great. As, it's not his best work. There are, are random, like, illustrations that yeah. probably would have been been better, especially for such a an interesting volume, actually. That's, I know. That's the worst of it. I mean, the, go ahead. That's why he didn't use, you know, I think, uh, more personalized monsters, because, like, this cover doesn't actually refer to anything happening in the volume, which is, I think, uh, one of the exceptions, you know, because covers tend to at least, you know, uh, refer to the, to the content of the volume, and so, yeah, you know, using another one that's more, you know, maybe more relevant to us, but not 
to what's in the volume would have been even worse, you know, from the reader's point of view, because you get a, a book and the cover doesn't actually, like, it doesn't conform to anything at all. So I actually think the fact it's generic was chosen. You know, like, they had no other cover plans. They had to use one of the drawings he had made, mm-hmm. the paintings he had made, and they just took, well, oh, this one, you know, like, maybe this could be, you know, one of the monsters he kills, and, uh, and that was it. Yep. But, I mean, Griff brought up a good point <clears throat> regarding the cover in terms of the subject matter here, the breadth of work he could have drawn on. Like, one of the episode titles here is The Space Between Demon and Man. And, and the subject matter, this is the introduction of the Beast of Darkness in this volume. And all the stuff that Guts goes through, I don't know, that, to me that's all way more meaty content for a decent cover than what we got. Well... I agree, but I, I, I thought we were, you know, uh, going from the the idea that he had no time to actually draw one, to paint one for sure. this volume specifically. But, uh, yeah, I, I know I can't imagine that he actually painted that, that you know, uh, illustration specifically for that volume. It just, yeah. it doesn't fit. So I, I think, you know, this I, I don't think that's the just the one case. that was on top of his pile by his desk. He's like, here you go. <laughs> Use this <laughs> <as> the cover. <laughs> well, that's enough volume talk. We'll get on to the the main show. So opening up the volume, we have, uh, it's actually the beginning of the Beast of Darkness uh, episode, to, but uh, it's interesting. It's a, I like uh, the perspective on the cover and also how non-dog-like the Beast of Darkness looks in this particular section. It just looks monstrous. kind of. Well, like yeah. this a, if this was in color, this would have been an excellent cover. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the only real criticism I have here is that I don't think there's anything interesting about the dichotomy here and the two the eyes, we get a vision of guts and a vision of the kind of the the specters, I guess, is what it's supposed to be in the other eye. I just don't think it's necessarily an interesting parallel. But uh, well, I mean, it's yeah. interesting to have them incorporated, you know, in the same picture to just you know include that element. But sure, yeah, I see what you mean about it just being you know paralleled directly. It doesn't you know necessarily do anything unless it's you know. Is guts, but coming like them, I don't know. Right, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, yeah exactly. Just the messaging of it. That's all. Yeah, it's just one size human and one size evil, and you know, I, yeah. I think, like Griff said, it just means guts is. It's exactly what they say in, in the episode actually that he's like them. Mm-hmm. Right, that's a good call. Yeah. In addition to the uh, the Beast of Darkness cover, if you open the pro- volume proper, we have this uh, unique to this episode uh, full page drawing of of guts. And I like how it actually does. I mean, it's one of those rare moments where the the black lines actually do span the entire page. Often, it kind of has a border or a frame to these kind of images, and um, this one's not. It's just a massive dark image of guts. Uh, I also like how he. You can tell he used a different kind of pen, or at least for the arm and some of the details of the cape, he used a thicker pen for the drawing. Yeah. Which is something he's been doing throughout uh, uh, this particular section of the series. He doesn't do it that often, uh, otherwise, but. Here, he experimented quite a bit with different style of drawing, which I thought was cool. I think it's just a really cool picture, the way, you know, his eye is just sort of hidden, you know, among, like, his cape, you know, and he's going <laughs> under it. I mean, it, it's a shot where it's like he looks static himself, but a lot of action is being conveyed, a lot of movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the swirling cape over his head as well also adds a lot. Yeah. Like and, and you're right, the fact that most of his face is shrouded in darkness and... You know, the, the the blackness of the entire image is, you know, very strong. Yeah, and there's different death to it, too, with a hand, you know, at the front, and yeah. the other hand with a sword and his face. Yeah. And uh, M tells me he has a problem with the call. Oh. It okay. says it's on old, on his side. 
Well, I will add him. That's strange. Did you, did you guys see him on the call, though? Cause I yeah, didn't. I did. He's okay. on my call. You okay now, man? Yes. Oh, okay. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Great. That was just our special guest restraining boat. You must have tried to, you know, speak out of turn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm just going to... We recorded like a three-minute little bit. I'm just going to cut this little chunk of it out. We just talked about the picture of Guts uh, when you open up the volume. <clears throat> yeah, I think I was on that. Uh, then you restarted Skype, right? I did, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Zipek. Yes, I'm, I'm just turning to the page and working the time for that little sandwich. I bit. know, I know. <clears throat> oh, man, he's being quite heroic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Donkey. I love the donkey, man. I love the donkey. Its face is just Burn. great. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't actually notice the donkey <laughs> until just now. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad you, I'm glad you, I'm glad you guys pointed it out because that's the episode cover now. That's what's going to be the picture for the for this episode. <laughs> yeah, it's the best, it's the best part, man. Yeah, it's the face of the scene. <laughs> it's also nice that you know he's with this this army with very detailed regalia and armor sets and. Zepex on a donkey tied up by rope. You can see like the everything yeah. about it is just of lower quality, and he's straining the the donkey onward to the misty valley. And, and uh, I imagine Serpico as he warns him, you know, about you know the way he's riding, you know, sort of like a maitre d. Sir, um, please, <laughs> could you please leave without making a scene? <laughs> you know, basically. Yeah. Good. I was just going to say, I actually find it impressive that they packed as a, a metal armor, you know, because given the rest of his attire and skills and everything, it's quite, you know, like, you know, surprising. He just yeah, not mean, just be wearing, just, you know. like, have a, a wine barrel around himself. <laughs> 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 he actually, you know, he, <clears throat> he mentioned the armor last episode, last volume, that he went to get, get it out of a chest, that he said he got it from the, the war or from a long time ago. I'm assuming he looted it, you know. I doubt he afforded it. You know. <laughs> Ripped of it off of a dead soldier. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting in this episode we learn a little bit more later on about how perceptive Serpico is. And yet also we have Azan here uh, who is in all other all, all other authorities the leader of the group except for, you know, in formal capacity. He is taken in by Zepex, you know, uh, I guess uh, his passion for being on this quest, you know, Azan actually yeah. is moved to tears by his <laughs> devotion to his daughter, you know, and of course Zepek just kind of like Zepek is un I like that he's he's almost getting like a little uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You know, uh... <laughs> and it kind of settles the conversation, the debate we had earlier about why Zepek is out here. You know, it's made more clear at the very end of the Lost Children, but. Uh, yeah, he's just doing it for personal glory and to relive his glory days. He's it has nothing to do with Jill, not only not her her you know well being, which of course he doesn't give a shit about, but also he doesn't care about what he which he even looks like to her. You know that was my argument was he was doing it to make him appear not so much a loser, but I don't get the impression that he cares about that either. Yeah, it also answers our question. You know why he uh, you know. When before he was so cowardly, you know, in the face of danger, why he would, yeah, volunteer for this. And clearly he's emboldened by, you know, being in front of this army. Yep. And yep. so, yeah, there's the answer to that question, too. Although it's a little ironic since, you know, a lot of this army is not actually fighting men. Right, yeah. Just a few of them. Well, two, really. <laughs> which we, which we don't know yet at this point. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So as the readers, you know, it's it makes sense that, you know, he feels pretty good about himself, you know, leading the charge of, you know, these very impressively armored, you know, cal- cavalry here. Mm-hmm. And, so, you know, regarding Asan, I think it's uh, really interesting that he thinks that uh, Sepik is doing it out of uh, love or something for her daughter and for his daughter, sorry. And that, I think that shows how Asan is. I mean, he's uh, such a person that he believes they are all kind of like him. That mm-hmm. not have such a code and you know behave in a certain way. Yep. Yeah. And that is not the case, and I think that speaks highly of of Asan actually. Of course. Yeah. Like, almost naive in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. It it comes down to his worldview, right? I mean, it's it, it tell it's, it informs us a little bit about how he perceives others that, you know, everyone everyone must be virtuous, and if they're not virtuous, well, they just fallen on hard times or something like that. No, no one's truly a scoundrel, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, they arrive on the scene of where Guts, of course, you know, murdered all the bug men, uh, and everyone assumes that it must be the Black Swordsman along with a group of soldiers, and Serpico, I like this panel of him with the ellipsis, you know, yeah. kind of, you can see him investigating it or noticing the details himself, uh, and what, what he says actually surprises Azan that it was clearly done by one man because of, you know, the evidence on it. He kind of pulls a CSI moment here on the corpses, yeah. and is able to determine it was from one from one you know massive sword or cannon. Anyway, um, Azan you know breaks his breaks a moment and it actually mentions the, the Falcon of Darkness, but uh, Sephardes cuts him off. What's interesting here is how um, set in her ways Farnese is, Farnese is uh, about hunting down the Black Swords, and this actually emboldens her to go even further on the chase. You can see this, the wildness in her eyes yeah. uh, as she swears on her faith that she'll capture the Black Swordsman. And what is that about? I didn't. I couldn't quite determine her intentions here. Is it like she has a moment to prove herself and that's what this is all about? Or is it something else? You know, I think it's very simple actually in that like we get to know later on that she's actually just a frightened little bird and everything. And I think this just shows her fanaticism. Mm. And that's what throughout that whole part, and we get to see that afterwards, you know, gets her going and keeps her going and keeps her looking strong. Uh, it's, a, it's a fanaticism, you know, the fact she's, you know, like, well, she's a, a zealot. And, uh, and, th- and I think that's what this panel shows, you know, like the eyes transfixed. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. uh, to, me, to me, that's exactly what it shows, fanaticism. It- and she's swearing it, you know, her last line here is swearing it on her faith, and it just, you know, it's literally a crutch for her to be able to do anything. Like, yeah, she'll go after the Hawk of Darkness, or Guts, the Black Swordsman, just because, you know, she believes it's, you know, her faithful protector and guider, and that's that's why she's going to do it. And it's, it's really because, I mean, she's directionless, and she, she uh, kind of latched onto the Holy See in her role in this, and this is merely... You know the next step in that role, uh, but Guts, Guts points out in, later on in this volume that she uses words like you know God and devotion and all these, but she's he he perceives her as as merely hollow as a hollow having a hollow existence. Yeah, and you have to remember that uh, afterwards, you know, we actually get to know uh, she took her mission farther than she should have. You know, mm. like she was they were only supposed to gather clues and stuff like that, but they actually so uh, it gets me thinking that she was just, you know, like I said, you know, like going above and beyond, you know, the call of duty. She, she was just, you know, on that quest also because it gave her direction. It gave her something to do, something to believe in, you know, something to follow. And that was uh, 
what gave her strength, you know, and when that was taken away, she just crumbled. Yeah. So moving back to Guts, as we turn the page, she's uh, tearing through, using the Dragon Slayer as a bug swatter. Uh, <laughs> bug Slayer. <laughs> and uh, I remember counting all these bugs. On oh here. my god. Thank you so much. <laughs> I never would have finished that project. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and also we see them transforming immediately back into uh, babies. I, I love this two-page shot of Guts. There's something about his pose and just how wild he looks on the flames. This looks really cool. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, but Roisin still hasn't you know, used up all her reserves, so she sends more after them, and they begin chewing on Guts. Um. But he has one more trick up his sleeve, and he, you know, throws himself into the flames to to burn them off, burn them away. I'm not sure it's really a, a trick up his sleeve, or if it shows he's uh, like in a transfixed state at this point. You know, like we see Jill and Puck looking in astonishment or maybe horror at what he's doing. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, yeah, I think he he's not really thinking straight anymore. Like, he, yeah, he'll throw himself in the fire to get these guys off, and you know, like he doesn't really care about anything. Sure. And it shows with the next panel, you know, when he pierces the cocoon and, you know, bites on the intestine of uh, the half-formed, you know, uh, creature that you know, falls out of it. Yeah, it's one of those moments where uh, throughout this whole section, uh, it kind of kind of comes and goes, but Gut's face is blacked out a lot in this particular mm. section. Mm. <clears throat> and, you know, it's some, it's, I think it's a lot about what we talked about last time, which is, I think Mira is distancing herself, the readers, from Guts and portraying him in this way as he does more intense things. Yeah, and it's how he looks like to uh, Jill and Puck and even Roisin. You know, like you can actually see her her look. She looks, you know, bewildered by what he's done. You know. Absolutely, yeah, and, and Roisin as well is is further, you know, pushed on by this. You know, yeah, wondering, wondering her. how a, a human's capable of this. And I think it's a good prelude, actually, to the you know uh, emerging of the Beast of Darkness later on. This yeah, section, sure. this look, you know. Yeah, so I, I had just one thing. Uh, you know, you were saying that Guts was just in a rage and doing things, not thinking really, but then he he pierced the cocoon and that put out the fire. So, I mean, yeah. I guess he he intended to, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean. I'm not. I'm not going. Jose, I'm not saying he's just uh, mindless. No, that's no, no, actually. No, of that's actually uh, something I, I like to, you know, to say that, you know, the title Berserk is actually not really appropriate for most of the series. Exactly. Uh, un until he actually got the armor. You know, when he got the armor, you know, that day I was like, fuck, man. Like, finally. You know, because <laughs> the thing is, like, even, even you know, in this case where, you know, most people would say that's like one of the cases he's the most enraged out of the whole series. But, yeah, he actually, he, he throws himself in the fire. And that's what I mean by saying he doesn't give a shit. He's like, he'll go to any length to, you know, uh, get, you know, uh, to, to win, you know, like to, to, to defeat the apostle. But, uh, yeah, even though he's throwing himself in the fire, he actually knows there's a cocoon, and he's, you know, he can, you know, uh, how to say, uh, shut it off. So uh, he's not doing anything mindlessly. And, that, and that's the case for, like, almost the all fights in the series, actually, except when he's wearing the armor. But he, otherwise, he never does anything that's not actually carefully uh, sought out. <clears throat> And that's actually what characterizes this fight, at least before she transforms, and even afterwards, and she comments on it. The fact that he's using the geography here, the the low hanging trees, knowing that she can't, you know, for example, he can't, she can't use her dust 
and she can't fully fly at full force at him because of this. So he's yeah. he's he's playing smart. Yeah, he he's a you know like most of the time you know like maybe except when he's faced with Serpico because Serpico is like might you know we might say he out maneuvers him but you know uh, and Gus doesn't really need to you know uh, plan anything against uh, a simple man but yeah most of the time he actually plans things quite carefully uh, against apostles or maybe not carefully but he can quickly judge uh, how he can get advantages mm-hmm. and uh, and he plays uh, off on them actually this fight re- really reminded me of Serpico because it was once you think about the Serpico fight it's fun to think how the other guy turned the tables on guts, and he used the geography against him. Mm-hmm. So it it was really funny seeing the opponent actually thinking, uh, and and planning and using the geography against guts on twice, uh, two separate occasions, right? Right. Yeah. So it, it, I thought it was really, really, really funny. What's well, also yeah, like, funny because it was it's as if guts is the monster that you have to sort of plan <laughs> everything around, you know, to give yourself all the advantages. It's the same thing he does with the apostles. Yeah, exactly. Exa- exactly. And, and Gus is actually amused when, well, I mean, somewhat amused when Serpico does this. So, because <laughs> yes. the yeah. irony isn't lost on him. <laughs> yes. But, I love uh, the I love the pacing of this fight because there is there's a real back and forth between Guts and Roshin about who has the advantage and who has on the defensive. I mean, when they before she transforms, it seems pretty clear that even though he hasn't gotten in a solid hit, he he's he's controlling this fight. He's man, he's he's able to. Uh, kind of keep her on the defensive until she yeah. transforms, and he actually comments later that he, you know, he misses opportunity to kill her three times, you know, twice in this opening volley here where her um, stinger kind of threw off his slice, and then again when uh, she was too quick when he says got her, and then she was too quick and managed to escape. Yeah, like he's a more, he's also more cool-headed, you know, like he's a warrior, but she's, you know, I mean. She's not really a kid anymore. Also, also another thing I wanted to comment on, but maybe later, the fact that why she looks like a, a child still, you know, kind of. I mean, uh, in early teens, she's actually aged, you know, like when you compare her to Jill, she's probably more like 17 or something like that. True. You know, in, in true age, 17, 18 or, or something. But uh, yeah, like he's more cool-headed. And it's also one of the things he, he commented on the past, you know, like for example with Wild and other apostles in that, like these guys are not necessarily warriors. They're you know, they're strong, they're monsters, but they don't necessarily know how to fight. So yeah, it's only their instincts that let them, you know, keep up with guts. Yeah, and and, and so he's got the psychological advantage, you could say. Right. Uh, she disappears for a bit, but he detects that something's happening because his brand begins bleeding. I like that. You know, it's noted for the readers as well that. You know, she's transformed. We, we at least we have an indication of what's going to happen. And I, I love the the slow reveal of her form here because you know readers didn't know quite what to expect of of this of her form being so insect driven in the past. And she says everything's been burned, but she'll rebuild it as long as she has Jill. And she's rising up, and we get to see a little bit of the unique features of this apostle design and. Um, I always thought there was more to this design. I thought there were more insect designs. I never really scrutinized it, but it really is kind of a giant Luna moth with a few additions. There's a, a few additional appendages, these weird heart valve-like shapes that are so indicative of Mira's monster designs. We've seen them on 
the Apostle Chamber, and we've seen them on the Idea of Evil, and a few uh, Apostles have them as well. These like kind of valves. I don't know what to call them other other than that. Yeah. But they're quite monstrous because you know, like they're not insectoid. You know why exactly. the other the other things are like you know a shittiness made of an exoskeleton. These things have veins on them. You know, so that's kind of gross actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And of course, they have the, this characteristic strange Luna Moth eye, but it's, it's not really from a Luna Moth. It's just this weird design on the eye. Yeah, I, I couldn't quite pin an insect down that has that. I'm sure there probably is one, but I, I couldn't find one. Well, you know, actually, I don't think like you know, insects usually have eyes that are multifaceted. Mm, yeah, and, uh, com- compound. Yes, yeah, they're usually like more beady, and so I, I think it's actually uh, it's just like the head, the you know, the part, the human part, and the eyes are something Mira just made up, and like, actually that's the part that makes it look kind of scary to me, and you know a bit horrible, you know, mm-hmm. like that part specifically, the eyes, you know, that kind of, you know, uh, how to say, uh, I don't know, like greasy almost, you know, glassy, sure. glassy eyes. Yeah, glassy. Yeah. And of course, the the form that Roshin takes in the center of the body or the center of the head is very vaginal. It kind of there's no way around that. It's pretty upfront with what it's supposed to look like. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Really, the clitoris at the very top and the labia all around. It's you know it's pretty clear what that's supposed to represent. Well, I guess you know, I mean, Mira's never really what say. Uh shied away from giving, you know, uh, sexual connotations to apostles, you know, mm-hmm. be it, you know, male or, or female, so, I mean, why not? Yeah. Well, as we see her body, we actually see something else unique about this, is this kind of jet engine coming from the back, and uh, me and Azil were talking about this before the show, and we kind of concluded that we don't quite know exactly how it works we have an idea like it seems that Azil pointed out that she's taking air in with the front valves and she's able to compress it in her body and then push it out through the abdomen because we actually see some kind of weird light emitting from the abdomen as she's blowing it out so she's she's like the Batmobile yeah sure (laughs) well yeah that's actually the exact same principle except like instead of a jet engine inside, it's just some kind of magical, you know, uh, yeah. guts, you know, that do their thing. But it the creates same some sort of, you know, explosive, you know, combustion engine inside her that basically, yeah, propels her forward and creates this fire and exhaust. I had a friend that could fart on command. That's kind of what she's doing here, just like <laughs> across the entire valley. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's really cool, actually. I love. Uh, it's a very ambitious design to have a, an apostle that can have it has a jet engine power to plow through this entire area, and it's actually so powerful that it creates, as Guts comments, shockwaves whenever she's going so fast. And yeah, actually, she she uproots trees and you know you know like almost blows out the flame and fans them at the she, same time. She creates uh, like he doesn't know. What, I mean, is he is he aware or not when she's like sort of creating uh, sonic booms? Like I wondered about that. that if she's, it's... Uh, she's breaking the sound barrier. Yeah, That's he, what I thought as well. He comments on it. Uh, like, he doesn't say, oh, she's, you know, breaking it because he doesn't know what it is. But, yeah, he says there's a shockwave and, like, a thunderous boom. So, I mean, it's pretty clear to the readers that she's actually yeah, going supersonic. And she uses that against him, which is mm-hmm. also pretty, you know, interesting. <clears throat> I also think what's interesting about her here is that, I mean, she's kind of... She's now fully engaged in the fight. You know, before, she she didn't really know what she was dealing with. You know, she thought she had the advantage again and again. 
until, you know, he, he sort of set everything on fire and almost killed her and she frantically flies away and transforms. And at that point, she's she's fully, she knows what she's getting into and has kind of lost her mind. And I think that's sort of, uh, like, uh, you can see that as she's flying at him at first and, you know, she's literally hitting all the trees and you can see all the cocoons breaking and all the bodies flying out that she she is committed to to destroying him at any cost and then leaving. She knows that this place is ruined. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also it might show the fact that she, how to say, you know, as part of a little fantasy. Also, she doesn't she, really care. <laughs> she, she might have not wanted to like to reveal her true apostle form, you know, unless yeah. she really had to. Like maybe she also. I mean, I'm not sure she reassumed. Really I'd say assumed is not the proper word, but she really, I'd say, accepted the fact that this is her, you know, like, she was okay with that. Uh, you know, yeah, that she's, got me she's thinking about it. playing and being, you know, fairy, so... Yeah. This kind of spoils it, because she's, you know, this grotesque thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, she tries to cover it by saying, oh, I'm the Queen of the Elves, this is the form of the Queen of the Elves, and... But actually, you can see Jill responding to her form as soon as she transforms. She asks, is that, is that Rosheen? Yeah. What's interesting about the first point of contact that uh, Guts and her have whenever she's coming towards him is, you know, Puck actually says uh, earlier that, you know, swords aren't going to be any good against this. And right before they make contact, Guts actually, you can see him look down. It's kind of difficult to see, but it's a small panel where Guts looks down at his sword and then flips it sideways at the last minute to guard against the, the, the strike. Yeah. So he actually changed tactics at the last moment because he realized that. Yeah. He wasn't going to be doing, able to do much, you know, with this, so... Yeah, and the, the blow is actually, like, you see, he's thrown off. It's quite yeah. quite powerful. Yeah, he's knocked back completely. Yeah, and a tree explodes in it as well. There's a, there's a lot going on here, and that's why this fight's so interesting and chaotic, because there's so much chaos happening because as a result of this, you know, making this jet engine sonic boom apostle flying through a forest. And then there's yeah. you know there's this velocity and then there's verticality in this fight as well. It's all over the place. Uh, so yeah, we see her flying in the sky, and uh, Jill, even Jill and, uh, and Puck are affected by the blowback from the the sonic boom, which actually stokes the flame, like we mentioned earlier. So and we can actually see uh, like what we mentioned earlier in action, the fact the valves on, on the side of her are pumping in air, and you know you see her belly growing, and that's you know like I don't know how it works, but it allows her to gain speed. <clears throat> and she does a second passage, and Gus again can't you know can't do anything else except just you know stay alive and avoid being you know squared. <clears throat> um, well, Griff, you wanna say something? Yeah, sure. I actually, um, just when she's, before she turns around and has that attack, I really, I liked sort of the look on her face, and uh, it might be a couple of pages ago, but when she's talking about, you know, how she missed him, but the next time, you know, she's gonna... Sting! Yes, yeah, sting! Yeah. She just has this weird sort of, you know, almost like, I don't know, the satisfaction that she has, you know, that she's sort of, she's feeling herself right now and her power, and, you know, she's very pleased and it's almost getting towards later when uh when she feels like she has him on the ropes and you know almost gets sort of like it's a almost a sensual kind of thing which is mm -hmm. yeah kind of disturbing on a few different levels well it's so, uh it's the nature of apostles you know like taking yeah. pleasure you know i think it, like again well like we said earlier she was a bit you know still playing in you know, a bit childlike fantasy but 
now like you know she's letting it you know all out and she's okay you know like yeah she takes pleasure in killing and she even exhibits we see later some kind of you know sexual you know uh, tension or whatever so yeah. I think it's just you know like her true nature is, is you know uh, bared yeah and so she's just continuing to come down and basically hit guts with the basically just dive bombing him into oblivion I like one of the shots of her in the sky, silhouetted, where you can just see a silhouette of her with the little eyes of the moth. Yeah. <laughs> where it's actually a very cool little, like, comic book uh, kind of shot, while she's also, you know, again, pumping herself up and saying how she's, you know, indestructible, essentially. Yeah, and the fastest and Guts, in the world. Yes, and Guts is on the ground, you know, basically, you know, acknowledging the fact that he's being obliterated and needing to figure out, you know, a different strategy, because he can't even touch her. Uh, yeah. the way things are going and so he basically uh, we we don't know it at the time but he's sort of you know he's just standing there he, you know she's flying at him thinking that she's going to basically stab him right through the head and this is going to be the end and he just stands there and crosses his arms which she you know she has no idea what he's up to and Guts you know he's also looking at her through the through it's his a, arms a, he sort of closed it around his eye and he can see her it's actually interesting because like he managed to avoid being killed, you know, several times, and so she decides to go at him a bit more slowly, you know. And at the same mm. time, he uh, he catches, you know, uh, he doesn't really catch his on that, but he sees she's going sl- more slowly, and so he knows it is chance, and uh, and yeah, he tries to, I guess, lure her in uh, into, you know, screwing his arm but missing his head because he's noticed she's going for his head every time, and that's how he can, you know, uh, get it done. Yeah, that he's found a way to at least predict, you know, yeah, where, thanks where to she the... will be and how she will work. So he comes up with this, again, very sort of self-destructive, but the only effective strategy. Yeah. I think one, of my, really... one of my favorite moments in this volume, actually, is when the you can see the needle going through his arm, and then the, you know, the, the fake arm catches it and just narrowly misses well, going yeah, over his head. Yeah. Well, it gashes his head, too. Yeah, yeah. Side. Yeah. It's yeah. just—it's really sort of an excellent uh, moment there. I mean, this whole scene, you know, she uh, she keeps flying and obviously takes off with him, flies him up into uh, the sky, and she's you know taunting him. Right. Yeah, I like that Lick, licking through the whatever it is. I don't know the carapace that she has. Uh, yeah, licking, but she, she definitely face. feels completely in control mm-hmm. during this scene. She's mocking him again. She yeah, licking him. She's talking about you know at least in the Dark Horse translation now it's like they're going on a on a date. <laughs> yeah, a date in the starry starry sky with a little heart next to it. And at the same like, time, she's also flying through the trees, you know, which yeah. is uh, doing obvious damage to him. And so she she finally flies him up in the air. And I think this is a lot of people's you know favorite moment because I mean guts appears to be completely at her mercy, mm-hmm. and she flies him in the air, and she's still kind of you know taunting him but at the same time she's being a little bit serious talking about sort of how she thinks you know jill might have a crush on him and you know and how jill belongs to her and she's reaching in for a kiss and basically that she's going to kill him you know at that same moment and uh guts just you know you, you see his hand come up first like this whole time it looks like he's basically you know knocked out or you know ready for you know he's dead to rights and you just see his hand pop up and she sort of looks at it you know mm-hmm. bemused yeah. And that's when his his eye opens, and it's an it's an interesting expression because it's not you know all out rage or anger. I mean, he seems like he really is sort of beaten down and annoyed. There's a little twitch 
you know, motion to his eye, and he just, he's got it pointed right at her face, and she looks like an innocent child in that moment, and that's when his eye twitches, and then he just sort of drops his hand. Right, fires yeah. In his belly. So clearly he could have just blown her head right off, but, you know, he couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. he comments on that later, obviously immediately after this, but yeah, he did hesitate once again, you know. Yeah, and because uh, of her form, it's just a, a great shot all around of uh, you know the look on her face, and then my one of my favorites is uh, them falling out of the sky. Right. Know? Yeah. Silhouette of guts, the silhouette of her, but then what's really clear is sort of the smoke and the fire. Yeah, and the kind of shrapnel or whatever it's supposed to be, kind of spewing out of the clouds. Yeah, the explosion, you know, in the air, you can still see it. Very cool. Yeah. And if, if I may ask here, I mean, we were talking a bit about strategy and how Guts uh, is thinking. I mean, was he really thinking here? I mean, using the cannon at that altitude, what what was he thinking, really? I mean... Oh, I th- absolutely. I think he... The cannon, I think, there's no question, he meant to get her at a point where he could use the cannon. Yeah. That's a, that's his ace card. My, my What I was going to ask earlier, but I never got an opportunity, was did he know exactly how he was going to be speared like that through his arm? I mean, that's, to me, that seems like thinking on his feet. He didn't know how that was going to end. He just knew knew he needed to get close to her somehow, right? I mean, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the thing is, she had been uh, making passes at him, you know, at like supersonic speed. He wouldn't do anything, and when he saw she was going, you know, uh, slower, I think he just, you know, he knew that was his chance, and he just, you know, reacted uh, appropriately. Sure. But yeah, I don't think he had any. Anything more than that, you know, like getting it through the arm and then, you know, uh, blowing the cannon in her face, I think that was. And, and to answer Am's question, well, I imagine he just felt he, he had to take his chances with falling down, you know, through yeah. the trees and uh, that it would uh, slow down his, uh, his fall. Actually, also worth noting is when he gets speared, he actually drops his Dragon Slayer. Yeah, whenever. yeah, immediately. A few times that he's disarmed. Yeah, it's, it's pretty rare, actually. It's yeah. one of the, the only occasions. So yeah, I actually really like this following scene. Uh, Guts has fallen to the ground. You know, obviously he's had a he's had a rough day. Uh, so now he's <laughs> hiding behind the, these fallen trees. And the Dark Horse edition actually kind of spoils this moment because there's text they've overlaid the text entire over. thing. So you can't see what's happening in this panel. But you know, Guts has already fallen on the ground, and he's kind of you know realizing the the seriousness of the situation and wondering why he missed. You know, he's going through this. And then at that moment, Roshin falls. So there's actually a little bit of delay. Mir actually considered that Roshin's body, being what it is, probably fell at a different rate. No, I think she's actually getting up. You know, she was. Yeah. No, in that panel, looks like it's like she's no, like face like down. Her wings are up. No, look, look. You know, you see guts. You know, he, he turns his head and you see her shape. You know, emerging from the ground. No, no, no. Before that panel, before that page, oh. when guts is laying on the ground. With the title of the episode right there. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. She falls at that moment, yeah, and she mm-hmm. gets up the falls. Okay, yeah, I, I oh, didn't yeah. catch what you meant. So yeah, it, in the Dark Horse version, it's also covered in yeah, 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 yeah. They put all the text. Actually, it's uh, it's pretty, you know, like couldn't they have I don't know edited out the Japanese one and yeah, <laughs> it, or it's uh, because it yeah it spoils uh, the whole it's part. It's very specifically you... designed that yeah it's like this moment where you see him on the ground and you see her up top. You know, it's sort of the two combatants. You know, down for the count. Yeah, yep. it's a cool moment. Again, it, it speaks to the pacing of this fight. It's why I like it because they're each delivering these just like huge blows to each other each time. Each time they volley, they're taking some serious damage. Yeah, and he crawls to up to the dragon slayer. That's you know, plant it straight in the ground. Oh. It's a pretty, it's a pretty cool shot as well. <laughs> yeah, you know? I love that. 
Yeah. Anyway, she's using her uh, her she's using her needle as a whip, kind of just lashing yeah. out everywhere. She's going mad. She's her enraged. eyes are just pure I, circles. I, I love that shot of her with the uh, you know uh, white round eyes. You know when she's yelling. You know it's pretty, you know pretty monstrous. Even absolutely. You know for yeah. her. And actually, we didn't really talk about it, but you know I find it interesting that Mira chose to have her inside. The you know uh, bigger you know creature in that mm-hmm. so, so kind of cocoon it's it's pretty unique you know and it's pretty strange yeah, it that looks she's, like the... she's inside a pod you know especially in that shot with her eyes yeah. glowing yeah and and there's some fluid inside so it's very you know like I mean very strange actually it's, it kind of you know equals the whole cocoon aspect for the other children she transformed mm-hmm. yeah I actually had a hard time coming up with what to call that. Uh, in my notes, like he's in this—I don't know—fluid encasing thing. I don't—I don't know what the word for it is. Well, I think cocoon would be, you know, like eyes of that, or I don't mm-hmm. know, or like a bubble. Like said. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, guts actually—you know—once he, once he retrieves the dragon slayer, he ties it to his hand in this very, you know, trademark characteristic way. Uh, so I, I also kind of like the symbolism of this as well. And I know Mira probably wasn't going for that here, but just something I was thinking about is, you know, shackling the Dragon Slayer to his hand so that it can't leave his hand again. He also, he looks like a prize fighter the way he's wrapping his hand up. Yeah, which yeah is totally. Interesting. And just, he's also at the same time chastising himself, basically, for being such a wuss and not, you know, murdering this little girl, you know, yeah. right away. Like a man... You know, and he's wondering if it's uh, if it's her appearance or if it's you know from listening to Jill. You know, it's like he's got a little too much uh, too much empathy, you know, for all yeah. around. He's trying to remove everything else and just concentrate on his urge to kill. You know, I actually love that shot at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very yeah, it's it's a it's very it speaks for itself. Pretty it's much. very it's a weird and unique shot too, because I mean, it's like like all those lines. It's like they're kind of, you know, it's broken up and unique, but it, it makes a greater hold. It's like a very solid-looking image of him still. Yeah, it feels <laughs> like he's, you know, like descending, you know, yeah. towards, you know. It's, it's or it's very... like he's, it's like flames also. It's like yeah. burning him, you know. Yeah, it's very dramatic. It also looks like he's burned, you know, like, you know. Mm-hmm. And what he's saying, of course, ties directly into the Beast of Darkness later. I mean, what what the yeah. feeling the feeling that he has in that moment is exactly what the Beast wants from Guts is to yeah. forget about everything else and just focus on yeah. the killing. Exactly, and you know that that also may, it also makes sense, you know, considering all of that, that it would be afterwards, you know, that uh, it you know first emerges, you know, takes take form, you know. Yeah. Yeah, this is almost like you could see this is the seed. It's actually something uh, I'll probably reserve a more longer thing for this for the Beast of Darkness section, but like it, it bugs me to no end that people think uh, often new readers think that the Beast is something that like possessed guts mm-hmm. or that he like manifested suddenly. That they they missed it. That the seed for this is laid throughout. I mean, the Beast was basically a weapon that guts honed in his hunt for apostles. You know, he had to take mm-hmm. on this harsher, more you know menacing persona to get through to make it through to be able to kill apostles and then eventually you know came to swallow him to a certain extent yeah well, well so, it's, yeah. A, it's a strange thing in that it's it's both literal and symbolic i mean it's 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 a hard sort of thing to wrap your mind around and that it's it's symbolic but that symbolism takes a a literal form in the supernatural world you know so it is something you sure. know yeah. I mean? it has it's shape weird it is and it isn't so it's uh, it's it's very interesting in that respect. Yeah. 
Anyway, Gut steals his resolve, as we discussed, and uh, at that moment, uh, he sees Jill and, and Puck are actually struggling against the flames that have been stoked because of the uh, her transforming. And he has a moment here where he's about to run, and you can tell he's about to get up and run to her side to, to make sure she's safe, but then he sees that Roisin sees her, and then he lies in wait. He has this look on his face, this dark, with the white eye glowing look. <laughs> And he knows what's going to happen next, and he kind of is playing, you know, a little bit of strategy here, tactics here. Uh, Jill is just about to give up. She's uh, just about to lose herself and just feels helpless, doesn't know what to do. She's prepared <laughs> yeah. to die, basically. I love that uh, Puck actually tells her to pierce a cocoon like Guts did, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 He's very, you know, he shows how opportunistic he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, she's she's uh, ready to die, you know. And Puck actually still, you know, uh, tries to talk her out of it. But you know, there's nothing to be done. And then Roshin intervenes. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the moments, uh, and we'll see it later on as well, is that it, it humanizes Roshin. You know, she is protecting Jill, and earlier she was uh, helping Jill out as well. And uh, I think it shows, you know, it's one of those moments where apostles aren't just a hundred percent monstrous. There's yeah. a human side of them as well, and of course we've we've already seen. It's not like this moment, you know, you know, saves anything else that she's done throughout this section. But it's interesting that she's not completely gone, you yeah. know, even now. I, I well, think it's also it's, it's interesting that I mean it's it's beyond that where it's like she's almost you know heroic in this uh, mm-hmm. scene. You know, she's save she's taking her time out from the fight here to she genuinely cares about Jill. She's already saved the tree from her, and just the look on her face and her concern asking if she's okay and using her her strength to help her yeah it's, it's just very interesting plus you can also tell her face is strained because she's in pain and you know yeah. she starts describing that that she's really not up for this like you know i mm. think it's what uh, you were saying earlier as about how guts has the mental advantage that he is a, a hardened warrior and yeah. she's you know she's just a little girl with a lot of power and you know evil you know instincts you know behind yeah. her but you know ultimately you know, apostles are, you know, they are the way they are because of their weakness. Mm-hmm. And we're yeah. seeing that here. You know, it's also interesting that, you know, beyond the fact she's, you know, uh, like shielding uh, Jill from the fire and everything else, like Jill is afraid of her, but, you know, like Roshin still, you know, doesn't care and will carry carry her on. And uh, she, she seems to think that, you know, she'll uh, protect Jill, you know, from guts, you know. Uh, which is uh, actually a funny sentiment for the reader because we know like uh, Gus wants to kill the monster and protect Jill, but at, at this time, specific time, you know, uh, it seems almost like, you know, uh, yeah, Roshin is really protecting Jill from Gus, you know, like, you know, yeah. Jill reflects earlier on that he looks like a demon, which is also something other characters like, you know, have commented on in the past, like even Isidro, you know, later on says he's a master, a devouring master, so uh, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting to see, to see, like, to put the two uh, against each other. You yeah, know, like the waters have been muddled to the point that it's almost, we have, in a, just a couple of pages, it's almost a reversal where, you know, Roisin clearly wounded, Jill can see she's wounded, I mean, her guts are hanging out, and she's hurt, and she's sort of nobly gonna try to protect her and take her to safety, and meanwhile, lurking in the shadows and the fire yeah. and flames, the you know we see the black swordsmen waiting for right. the moment strike. Yeah. Right. I love how the cold, you know, just calculating, you know, look <laughs> from guts there. Yeah. As he waits. 
he's on fire, and uh, you know <laughs> the shot where he pierces her, you know, uh, uh, in the double page is pretty, you know, like her screaming face is, you know, yeah. it's quite incredible actually. And the well, sword barely misses Jill as well, you know, like it, you can tell it just, you know, it's wiping against her cheek almost. Mm-hmm. And uh, and also, I really like actually the on the same two-page spread where she's being stabbed. It's just, yeah, the look of, like, horror, you know, as she screams, you know. Right before that, you know, she looks over and she sees him, you yeah. know, right beforehand. And, you know, she, she you know, she just looks like a, a young woman. Yeah. You know, she doesn't look monstrous or, you know, anything. She just looks a little scared and sort of, you know, she looks over and just sees it a second before it's coming and just looks, you know, very, very humane, very human in that shot. Yeah. I also like how after he, you know, impales her, she, you know, emits some blood from her mouth uh, in the little cocoon state. You because know, you see it, that yeah. it, it kind of dissolve in the fluid within her cocoon yeah. there. Just a small detail. Yeah, like but it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's uh, one of those little things that Gara does. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty awesome. And, uh, yeah, and Jill oh, falls into fire again and, and guts, uh, you know, how to say, he pierces a cocoon and she does get to have a you know, uh, half-formed bug full uh, on her face, you know. Yeah, lovely. Uh, it's, it's, it looks like it's still kind of half alive <laughs> and it's screaming. <laughs> oh, jeez. And, and, and you see her face and you can see the trauma will last, you know, for years and years and years. Yeah. It's pretty horrible. And uh, this is just great shot after great shot here. When uh, Rasheen, you know, zooms up to the sky with guts, you know, still impaling her. As There's a shot where... Um, you can see kind of Jill's perspective looking up, this long vertical yeah. panel, as her intestines are falling. Yeah, and then the long. shot of, of Jill as they land like next to her, like plop, plop, you know, right next yeah. to her. I love that. It's also raining blood on top of her. So yeah. pretty horrifying 30 seconds of time for, for Jill. Yeah. And, and Pucks, you know, comments on the fact Gus, like, knew what was going to happen and, and waited. Uh, and used and, it against her. Yeah. He's being right. he's being large he's being pretty objective about it. Like he's just sort of breaking it down. He looks he looks sad, you know, he doesn't look like disgusted or <laughs> disappointed yeah. or anything. He just looks you know I, I think yeah, I think he's just saying like, well, you know, like even though all the work I've done, you know, like he, <laughs> he's still at this point, you know. <laughs> I have a thought about that as well. Uh just he is taking that news pretty well. That's one of the lower things that Guts has done in his time. And Buck's just kind of sitting there, just dumbfounded by it. But he returns to guts pretty quickly after that. I think you know? he understands that you know that she's evil. Mm-hmm. You know, I think so. He, you know, he could kind of appreciate that. You know, yeah. That's... <laughs> you know, it's there. Like, even if Rosie thought she was saving Jill, you know, there really is no. She can't really save anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the one thing about Puck is that he's actually pretty pragmatic, you know, when it comes yeah. right down to but it. Yeah, so. he was gonna he was gonna cut the cocoon. And <laughs> and yeah. and she's like, no, never. He's like, well, do you have a better idea, <laughs> girl? <laughs> so, and meanwhile, Jill is having a, a mental breakdown. I we could say, you know, like she she looks, you know, she looks horrified, and then she has this, you know, insane smile on her face, you know, where you can tell she's a, uh, you know, uh, she's snapped. Jim. Reach the breaking point, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she looks about as close as, you know, to possession without being possessed in the series. You yeah. know, she's, yeah. like, having some sort of psychic break. Yeah, maniac. <clears throat> and I like this moment as well as they're flying through the air, and she actually asks Guts straight up, you know, who are you? 
you know, why are you so, and she doesn't finish her sentence, and he doesn't even bother to address his whole plight, he just says, you know, you wouldn't even remember just someone else you, you snacked on playing your games, just to basically talking down to apostles in general, and, yeah. and it, it, what's interesting is, is it it's personal for Guts, but it's not personal to her, you know, and I, I like that interesting dichotomy yeah, here. That I, I actually find that scene, I know, exactly like little exchange, pretty, pretty great, really. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. and because you see, there are these, you know, points for her where she she doesn't reply, you know, before getting a human. But the thing is, you can tell she understands. You know, I think at that at that moment she she gets yeah. it. Hmm. You know, she gets. He's out for revenge, and you know, like like she she gets it. But of course, her life story is different. You know, and. Uh, and there's that shot of her yelling, you know, that uh, a human must never be allowed to cause pain to an elf. That's pretty, you know, Intense. I don't know what to say. It's pretty, yeah, and you, you have these little black, you know, uh, dot splatters, you know, against the cocoon, yeah. the, the membrane. That's really pretty. It's very intense and very, you know, I mean, emotional. Uh, I, find, yeah. I always found it very emotional because it's uh, her... I guess innocence speaking, you know, uh, while mm. Guts was, you know, himself talking more to the reality also, of being an apostle. It's like the sort of a hysterical peak to her delusion, too, you know, where she is yeah. like, she's throwing everything in her being at this idea, you know, yeah. right now. Yeah. And that's yeah, what's get, keeping her going. Yeah, it's true. It's actually, you know, it, you know, even goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's like she, she's. Uh, Probably not very proud and doesn't really want to face the fact she's a monster. Yeah, you know. And mm-hmm. yeah, she knew what he was talking about, and this is you know just sort of completely glossing over and rejecting that and getting yeah. it back onto her narrative. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the equivalent <laughs> of plugging our ears and you know, ah, I don't hear what you say. Yeah. I'm glad you guys talked through that because that, that was also her reaction being so strong was something I was a little confused about, but that it makes sense the way you synthesized it. Yeah, it's two different worldviews that are colliding. Yeah, and again, the fact she's a, uh, you know, still very young, and she was very young when she became what she she became. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, she's she's mortally wounded, and you know, this is I. It's also, I think, the emotion of like just physically, you know, how she's feeling and striking back. You know, she's getting the the strength to do that, and guts can kind of see, you know, as she starts whipping around her little uh, stinger there, you know, and whips him off. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's definitely reached. Uh, the climax. Yeah, in every sense of the word. <clears throat> uh, the next episode starts with a kind of a li- missing chapter for Rosine, uh, Rosine in her childhood before she became an apostle. You know, the, the last we saw of Rosine's tale was that she left, she ran away from home, uh, and what was missing was the Behirat from Jill's perspective. And so she found the Misty Valley, and this is the Misty Valley, of course, prior to all the horribleness that came to it. <laughs> It's just a glimpse now, but we return to it later. But I like that it's kind of a moment of innocence here before yeah, just the shit like, went down. Like just a flash, you know, in between mm-hmm. the, the thing. I think it's pretty, pretty well done. It's a happy moment. It's soon to be spoiled. Yeah, because yeah. the very next page we see her in, uh, yeah, full, you know, wrath mode. Yeah, yeah. enraged. And it also kind of uh, continues the, uh, what's the word, theme of introducing an apostle's origins right as they're about to die. Something yeah. that Miura has done several times. Anyway, she whips guts off of him, off of her. And I like the shot of Puck, you know, from his perspective, looking up, seeing this, you know, guts flying away from her, knowing that he's falling to the ground. Yeah. And but unable she, to do anything. 
turns out she's about to screw him, you know. Like, yeah, she's, that she's, she's got flying, him you know? uh, right where she wants him. Also, that cool shot of God's head in the moonlight, you know, yeah. upside down. Yeah. yeah, it's great. And I, I also like... cool. Yeah, it is unnecessarily cool. You're right. You're just throwing coolness around. Here, take it. Yeah. <laughs> I like how the dart is shown being, you know, like at the forefront like that on the bottom panel, you know. Sure, yeah. the perspective and, shot. Or it just looks like a sword, you know, or a, yeah, a spear. Yeah, a mm-hmm. spear, yeah. And, yeah, and, and that page where, you know, like you see it right in front of his face and then mm-hmm. he's impaled. And, like, you know, I mean, you read this page, you, you just figure he's been, you know, uh, impaled through the head. You know, I, I actually could have done with a little bit more suspense. Like a, a page turn would have been great for that because oh, yeah. we have if this. Could, if if you look down at the bottom of the next page, you'll know that exactly. <laughs> One more page turn would have been perfect. But I I understand the. I mean, the moment's not spoiled. It's a super intense moment where yeah. Gus just. I love that shot where it looks like well he's just fucked. You know, <laughs> yeah. Between the, between the panels uh, of her eye looking at things when she's yeah. realizing what's happened, that's great. Yeah, well, and also it's just the her desperate happiness that she yeah. thinks. Oh, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to gloss over that. That's yeah. a great panel. The yeah. look of triumph on her face, you know, it's you know, hysterical almost. Relief, you know. You know oh, yeah. yeah, that's great. <laughs> and then, yeah, the, the moment where, you know, her, you know, she sees the head, tw- you know, twitch and probably yeah. feels... Yeah. And so you see just the horror come into her eye, and then yeah, yeah. this is and probably a lot of people's just favorite. Alt- oh yeah, this is this is one of the more defining parts yeah. of this whole section for and, sure. And he actually you know bites, you know that's that's the thing like yeah. it's close <laughs> through the cheeks, and he actually bites down on the thing, and then he stabs her. You know that's yeah. that's really you know like uh, that's uh, that's beautiful. <laughs> that, that, you know, that look Something so, so ugly and gross and disgusting has never been so beautiful. But yeah, this is the yeah. the ultimate moment of human triumph. Yeah. And also because he's had so many opportunities to do this and to finally have it done. You know, yeah. I, I understand all the yeah. And uh, well, it's intensity. also just uh, I mean, just the fact that he has he had no business really, you know, fighting this thing that could, you know create uh you know sonic booms and i mean she had all the advantages mm-hmm. and yeah just to see him you know and sort of i don't know again it's that uh that contrast between her you know she's just immediately becomes a child here and he looks like a monster yeah. all you know as he uh hits her with the the killing blow yeah I love that contrast between her the whiteness in her panel and the blackness in his yeah you know where he is, right, right. he has gotten over it. <laughs> you know, he does not care that she. Although, again, he he uh, might have moved his sword a little bit over to. Yeah, her. yeah. Even <laughs> at that point, he actually does not, you know, strike her right in the face. He hits her on the side, you know, which is, again, I think, telling of, you know, the fact it has an impact on him. Even at at this point, it's yeah. still you know, subconsciously it's, he can't. You know, he just yeah. can't do it. Yeah, he can't do it. He can't. And. It's just great. We see them fall apart, and, you know, we see her... At first, this is really interesting, you know, we see her damaged and, you know, just sort of another shot of her, you know, falling back, damaged, you know, dying. And then there's this sort of moment of realization, and we see her face, but, you know, it doesn't have the blood on it anymore, so it's sort of, you know, a more clear... yeah. Yeah, or like sort of seeing her, you know, beyond the physical realm, or sort of seeing, you know, the uh, idea of her. Yeah, inner, inner light... Yeah, and she remembers that they weren't there, you know, then we find out later what that means as Guts falls to the ground. 
Yeah. I mean, th- throughout this whole section, from this, from that panel onward, it's like she's coming to accept what had happened. And, but the, when we see Roshin again talking to Jill, it's like she's, I mean, it's not enlightenment, but she's more accepting of both her fate and what happened to her. I think yeah. it's interesting, a transformation that happens between these two panels. As, she, as she's dying, she kind of grows up a little bit. Yeah, she yeah she matures and uh, just you know faces the truth. Yeah. <clears throat> and anyway, the the flashback here is that she waited around the Misty Valley for days, waiting to see an elf, uh, waiting to confirm that you know this was her belief. And then her parents show up. Uh, the shots of her parents, interestingly silhouetted for most of the time. Her, her, her the face of her father isn't never fully shown, which I thought was a little strange, but. He looks like Vosgus almost. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's because he's, uh, you know, he's meant to be a threat to her. He's represented in this case as being, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, dangerous, almost like an enemy, you know, something that's uh, antagonistic. And I think that's he's why... All, he's yeah, up. he's all anger and teeth and... Yeah, his eyes yeah, are not shown because it's... from her perspective, you know, like he's threatening, you know, from a yeah. perspective as a child. There's a consistent uh, missing tooth in all of the shots of his teeth, which I appreciated. I respect Mira for remembering that the guy is missing a tooth in the lower, lower jaw. Um, oh yeah. Anyway, uh, is this there's this framing device that Mira uses? Uh, I think it's as far back as volume 15 for Roshin remembering her childhood. You have the shot of her looking at her parents fighting. You know, she sees her you know adopted father or whatever father striking her his mother. Her, and then she, we have the, her, her eyes, and then there's a shot of that happening, you know, in a domestic environment. Yeah. So she's it's kind of reliving the horror of that happening, and we, and we see it again uh, at the end of this section as well. So it's this weird. It's from an outsider's perspective. It's Roshin looking in on her house with the subdivided. It's subdivided by a, a window frame, but yeah. Miura chooses to incorporate that in, in the, the, the the framing of the panel, which I thought was really neat. Yeah. Well, it's her going back home, you know, at night and not wanting to actually go in because that's what's going on, you know. Exactly, yeah. yeah. There is and escapism. It's and also love... interesting he reveals that, you know, he's not really her father, or at least he suspects that and is yeah. you know, sort of uh, delu- I... you know, delusionally himself holding that against her as if she is trying to get, you know, just torture him, you know, because he's the center yeah. of the universe in his own mind. Actually, like that, stuff. he's... He's not even sure. Like, you know, there's yeah. no... He's just... Yeah, his wife was raped, and so he's not sure, but, you know, the thing is, like, he's not even 100% sure, so it's pretty, you know... Mm. Actually, I think that mirrors how things are in real life, or at least how they have been in the past. And I also love that she's actually, you know... Like, what actually, uh, what says, starts the whole thing for her with the Beherit is that she doesn't want that place that she holds so dear in her heart to be tainted by this kind of behavior, this kind of thing. Right. She ran away for a reason to escape all that, and now that's invaded her her, her place here. Yeah. I, I like also the subtlety here of the reveal of the Behirat transforming. It's like, you know, it's like Mira knows readers know this, the significance of this, and so he doesn't need to make it, I don't know, ex- exaggerated or overblown. Yeah. It's just, you know, the tears from the Behirat's eyes. You know what well, happens next. And, yeah, yeah, I think the focus is where it should be, is that shot of her face, which is, mm. you know, just, you know, it's very heartbreaking, and just the fact that she just wants everything to go away. Yeah, and right. I think that sums it up. That's sort of, you know, that's how she sacrificed. You know, even her mother, you know, she just wanted the whole situation, you know, to go away. Yeah, and it also shows how vicious, I guess, the whole process is. You know, like, from that wish... That simple wish for things to go away, 
uh, to you know what actually you know came out of it. Yeah. So uh, Jill finds Roshin first, having fallen near the tree uh, from her previous play, previous HQ, I guess. Yeah, and Roshin actually asks for forgiveness, you know, as she falls. Mm. I think that's important to mention that she actually yeah. acknowledges what she's done and she asks for forgiveness. Right, as she's fallen, yeah. And uh, Roshin's basically saying that she doesn't. She now understands that you know the elves never existed. It was just a made-up fairy tale. But you know, it's a final parting gift that she actually gets to encounter Puck and realizes she's told that Puck is a, a true elf, a real one. She finally got to see a real elf as she's dying. And then, of course, Guts comes in to spoil the nice happy moment. I like the emerging from the water like a monster. <laughs> Yeah, he's like Godzilla, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Coming out of the water. It looks huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, she's actually pretty lucky to have fallen in that lake, you know. Pond, oh, yeah. You know, to begin with, you know. I mean, the guy, the guy's got some luck, you know. I guess you could say the devil's luck, but he still mm-hmm. got some luck. Well, even the even the getting the stinger through the face, you know, very even though he, I'm sure he turned his head on purpose, just lucky, yeah. didn't, like stick it in his forehead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think uh, a couple, you know, inches, you know, could have, you know, really changed things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> or, I mean, I'll make the total nerd argument at the forces that she was exerting, she he probably would have just ripped his head in half. I mean, well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, even even his uh, even his forearm earlier on, she, you know, yeah. But he's so strong, like his muscles are so dense <laughs> that you know they held on. Well, he's that... been in the interstice for a while now already, so he's already yeah, those, exactly. Uh... Yes, he's yeah, he's also self, you know, tied it all up together. Yep, makes sense. Very good. We can also deduce that his teeth, his teeth probably have the same properties as the dragon slayer at this he's point. He's been fighting a lot of monsters. <laughs> yeah. He used his teeth to swing the dragon slayer. Yeah. He's being he's, st- through. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna chew right through Ubik. He's just gonna eat him. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I like the overhead shot. I like a lot of these shots of Roshin's face. It's really accentuating her unique hairstyle, and uh, like it's draped around her, and yet it's also marred by blood. Just visually very cool design. I'm sorry, I went right past this full-page shot of kind of a flashback as the episode yeah. starts of Jill and Roshin. Jill had fallen and hurt her knee. Looks like it's just kind of an arbitrary, childlike moment. And Oh, I see. Um, Roshin's giving her a wreath like she did when she was in the previous yeah. volume 15. <laughs> Kind of a callback to that. That's kind of nice. Yeah, and she just uh, looks so motherly, you know, there too, sort of yeah. you know, making yeah. her feel better. The big sister. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty yeah. sweet moment. It's a great shot. <clears throat> uh, Roshin's basically processing, know that knowing that she's going to go away, she's processing Jill's future, saying that <clears throat> you know you'll be you'll be okay, uh, even with the bad stuff. So. It is a moment of maturity for her, and also, you know, reassuring Jill that even though she went through this horrible thing, everything's going to be okay, basically. Yeah. and It's the, nice for for once that she's not being selfish. Yeah, and the, I, I like her, you know, like the fact she found an elf, you know, and that she showed one to Roshin, that it almost makes it all, you know, right, you know, yeah. for her. You know? Closure. She, she, seem, she seems to have, like, it can bring her peace, even though she's dying, that almost, you know, brings her some kind of peace before. Yeah. Before guts, you know, arrive. <laughs> I like that he comes dragging the dragon slayer because that's all he can do at this point. It's kind of carrying it behind him like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really two fantastic dark shots of him. The one of his whole body sort of skulking towards her, and then his yeah. face. <laughs> like, yeah, he looks really, really angry. <laughs> <laughs> 
and just inhuman. I mean, he does look like a dog, you know, in that shot, yeah. like a you know an angry dog, just you know sneering. Yeah, his face is is warped to the point where you know it, it barely even resembles guts. You know, there's no pupil. Yeah. You know, every, all a lot of his features are shrouded. Uh, he gets closer to Jill, and Jill he pushes Jill away with his sword hand. And I like that Puck then comes to her rescue and tries to block the Dragon Slayer by crossing his arms in a sword sword block move. It's cute. And Jill just looks up, accepting her death, basically. Uh, and at that moment, uh, Jill Jill throws her body on him, and he actually has a moment of hesitation here. And it actually, it's a great moment of suspense because uh, you know it's not that Gut stops his blow; he's actually in, interrupted. You yeah. know, he's he, yeah. he's reached a very critical moment here about what action he would have actually taken. You know? Yeah, I, I love that we, we actually never get to know like if he would have you know struck on that because yeah. I think it's really like up in the air still now and of mm -hmm. course it's I, I think that's something he would have regretted had he yeah. <clears throat> especially yeah. because I mean yeah there she really is no longer a threat but he's just so you know <laughs> I mean it's got to finish the job he's got such bloodthirst you know and she's like you know pleading with him you know why do you hate her so much and that's when he just sort of ah <laughs> you know like knocks <laughs> her away you know like just an obstruction and I, I like when he's holding the sword over and on all these pages with uh, the sword above his head, he just—he mm -hmm. doesn't even look human anymore. Like you can't even see his face; it's just sort of a black, you know, shroud. Yeah, a mouth and an eye. And Zepic saves the day. Oh yeah, you know, hero you know, falling on yeah. his ass as he does, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's gleefully, you know, in his triumph, saying, "I took down the black swordsman," you know, yeah, and everyone's he, super surprised. And he literally doesn't in, give a in shit the Dark about yeah, in the Dark Horse volume, he literally says, How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah well, he must have been, you know, running even faster than the Holy Iron Chain Nuts because they arrive on the horizon, you know, at that moment. You know, I, I like that Farnes actually tells them to rescue the children because yeah. she doesn't realize that Roshin is actually not just any child, you know? Sure, yeah. sure. Well, to get there, they must have crossed through a bunch of those, you know, corpses of children. So yeah. it makes some sense. But I, I totally, I know what you're saying. She's ignoring the supernatural look that Roshin has. Well, I mean, at, at that distance and in the dark and everything, mm -hmm. like it's, you know, it makes sense. But you know, it's uh, it's interesting to see the different worldviews and the different assumptions they all have. You know, like from their point of view, he's just been murdering children, you know, continuously in the woods. You know, like. It doesn't make sense, but it doesn't matter. It's just what he's been doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I like how Guts is still like, you know, he's still not all there, it seems like. You know, he sees yeah. them coming, and, you know, he has this weird sort of exasperated look, and then he makes that, that weird face with his teeth, you know, mm. where I think that's sort of an instinct, you know, to fight. You know, he's, he's annoyed, he's going to fight, and then the arrows start coming in, and I think that's what kind of wakes him up when he gets hit yeah. again and realizes he has to flee. Gets hit in the chest and yeah, he's like, and just turn away. Yeah. You know, it's very, it's very shows he's still in a kind of trance, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Zahn talks Zepek down from pursuing them. You know, Zahn gives him a, you've already done such a great job, you great gentle man. Please just stay behind with the children, you know. <laughs> and, he, and that's when we see Zepek's true intentions here. Is he just wanted one more time to have a bit of glory. Throws down his crossbow. I love how Zan waves to him. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he throws down this. Yeah, son of a bitch. Yeah, it's good. And Rasheen uh, 
begins heading home. And uh, I like it that actually kind of it's too bad this epic doesn't recognize her. That would have been a nice thing. Or is that is that Roshin or something like that? But mm. he does not catch it. He probably and, didn't even know her name when she was in the village. You know, that's a kind of sure he is. Yeah. And this this shot of her rising up, you know, with her wings slash hair outstretched. I love the the look of it. I love the, the design of the wings is just really cool. Yeah. I mean, from the time she stands up again, I mean, she has sort of a a proud nobility, you know, going on here in beauty, yeah. you know. Her yeah. pose and everything as yeah, well. Yeah, it's, it's very and, strong. And she seems to be herself in a kind of, you know, like not completely there, you know, she, she has to go home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Zepic's like loading Zepic up another crossbow. Just, yeah, loading up the crossbow. Yeah. <laughs> what, what a dick. Time to ruin the moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she flies away. Uh, trying to head home, uh, knowing her parents would be worried. I, I mm-hmm. love that shot of the moon, you know, at the back. Her in front of the moon is really, really great. Yeah. Lunamoth. Yeah. She's saying she's hungry, wondering what's for dinner as she's falling. Uh, and we have this perspective shot with a sandwich by these two long black lines as they kind of recast the PCAF um, mm-hmm. myth into her falling on the hill, dying there. And the final page is also great. You know, a, a happy moment, a, a long since past happy moment between this family. Yeah. And again, it's, it's cut by that window, the same window, of course, we yeah. saw her parents fighting in. Yeah, and the, how to say, her, you know, body breaking up, you know. That's actually a, a really great, great shot. I think so. It's one of the best Apostle Death uh, in the whole series, I think, by far. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the best one. Definitely the best arc for for one of the apostles. I don't think we get you know even the count. You know we we learn a lot about him, but this is just a so much more personal. How we get into her head mm-hmm. and actually get her perspective here at the end. Yeah, you think Azil Azil the final page with the family and the white border around everything with the the imagery at the very bottom. I've always thought that was the Alunamoth actually like kind of out her window. Something that she might have caught a glimpse of, kind of out oh, the window. Oh no, I think it's actually her, her death, like her, her moment of death. I think that's how I, I view it. Hmm. Like you know, I mean, I don't know if it's supposed to be her actual body, you know, like Bob, maybe not, you know. But my point is, to me, that's you know, that signifies you know the, her passing away, pretty much. I mean, I'm not questioning that she's dead. I just mean in that particular panel, I've always, given the light sourcing around that and the framing, I've always assumed it was something. I don't know. It's like a Luna Moth to me, but I could, I, it can kind of be anything given oh. the scale. I mean, that's the, yeah, that's uh, it's not defined well enough to be sure what it is, but you know, I think given the whole thing, it uh, I, I've always just viewed it as you know uh, her death, and uh, sure. I think that's what makes sense. <clears throat> and if I just may say that uh, the ending of Russian story is, I mean, another testament to Mura's storytelling because, I mean, by the end you feel really, really, really sad for her and you're feeling with her and you you understand kind of what she went through and, and I mean, instead of, I mean, you, you don't really hate her. You know that she was evil and she was doing all these crazy things, but by the end, I mean, you understand that she was just a child and you really, really feel, to me, that this is a very, very sad moment when, when she finally dies. I mean, yeah. And also because her tr- the tragedy of her life is at least more relatable, or at least she's more of a victim. Yep. Whereas in some of the other apostles' lives, mm-hmm. you don't get that impression. You know, with the Count, for example, yeah, his wife cheated on him, but does that mean you should murder 30 people and then sick 
you know, your apostle body on your wife. It's just, it's not as quite as relatable as a machine situation, you know. Well, yeah, yeah, it's a form of betrayal, but, you know, like, she's truly an innocent, I mean, yeah. you know, whereas, yeah. you know, these other people, yeah, they were, it was more complicated. I think it's right. a good way to see how vicious, you know, the, the whole process, you know, the system with the God hand and the wish and everything, you know, I... It's, you know, the fact you, you can, you know, your wish is granted, but it's never granted, you know, like in a straightforward manner. There's always a cash, there's always something. There's always even thrown into it. So, and then that's, you know, sp- you know especially the case uh, here with uh, Russian. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> if I just may ask another question, more on a general level. Uh, in Earlier, when, when Guts was fighting Russian and when uh, Russian was actually protecting Jill, she was telling her that, let me just finish this guy and I'll take you somewhere and we'll start over and so on and so forth. And my question is, why does she feel the need to finish Guts? I mean, why doesn't she cut her losses and just move on? I mean, what is it that's driving her to finish? Guts? I don't, does, does she say that? Does she say yeah. she wants to finish? Yeah, I yeah, thought yeah, she just said she wants that. to get out of here. No, no she I says, uh, trust me, I'll carry you somewhere safe. Wait until I take care of him. Yeah, well, okay. I, I I think there's you know, like there's several levels for this. Like the first one is, you know, she might think he won't l- let them you know leave or leave them alone, which is probably mm-hmm. true. I think there's also the fact, well, after all he's done, she probably wants you know revenge, you know, which is funny because that's also what he wants. And then there's the fact he's uh you know that's more uh, a bit more far fetched maybe or off, but he's branded and uh, as an apostle, she probably has. Maybe unconsciously uh, a desire to to kill him, hmm. and uh, yeah, I think that plays that's that a plays point. A, that plays a part and as I well. Think, I think it just shows that she's still, you know, she's still in the fight. You know, she's still aware of it. She isn't, you know, just trying to. It would be interesting if she were literally like, you know, just wanting to escape, and thinking he, you know, where he's just basically the tormentor at that point. Yeah, but yeah, Actually, she still sort of I knows w- what's going on. I wonder if we'll get to see that, you know, at some point. We kind of, we kind of saw, you know, like in volume uh, 26, 27, when Guts is fighting Apostles, and you know, like he he starts, you know, smashing one before he fully transforms, and they're like, oh, it's not fair. <laughs> and, I, and I wonder if at some point in the future he'll be like in full regalia, full strength, you know, and they'll be like, oh, right away, you know. So that's, <laughs> yeah. that, you know, that, I'm that, swordsman. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be pretty funny like you know running up to Zod and you know or something like that uh, yeah I find that pretty funny <laughs> well but, here we begin about, the now you've got me you know basically in fan fiction mode I'm just saying but what about when we see that fear in Zod's eyes you know never strength and realizes you know <laughs> he doesn't have it <laughs> I think he'd be happy about that moment yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, a talk for another time. Sure. Volume 17, for example. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> so we begin the last episode of The Lost Children, and um, Jill's lamenting, knowing, knowing that Roisin's headed to her death. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, she's still not ready to go home yet. Zepek's urging her home, but she says one last thing to do, and she runs off to... Um, I like how she dodges Zepek's hit. You know, Zepek's telling her, don't talk back to your dad. And she, you know, swings and he swings and misses. Yeah, I, and, uh, I, I like how that kind of turns around, you know, the relationship, the power relationship between yep, them. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. it shows how much of a loser and, you know, weakling he actually is, you know. 
Mm-hmm. And I guess it also shows that Jill actually grew from this experience as yeah. bad as it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that's what the like soul... Someone like him no longer, you know, has any power over her. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, she's looking for Guts. She asks, she asks Puck to help locate Guts and... Puck kind of tries to dissuade her. There's no reason, you know, he's dangerous right now. But she doesn't know why, but she has to go. She can't leave things the way they are. And we see the um, Holy Iron Chain Knights. I like this, the imagery here, you know, flames in the in the night, uh, looking for Guts in this perspective of him, you know, hiding behind a rock, pulling out arrows with his clenched arm because his sword arm is still tied to the Dragon Slayer. Uh, still kind of in a frenzied state because whenever he hears Jill coming around the corner, he has this look in his eye, like he's not sure what you know what it is. Yeah. How, how terrified he is of what's next. Who's coming? Yeah. 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 And this really cool shot of guts, uh, just <laughs> the people. He's like Batman. Yeah. <laughs> and Jill asks um, guts to take her with him, and of course, you know, that's not exactly the most amenable. Uh, Futures for her. So anywhere that isn't here, as she runs out to embrace guts, it's very emotional moment here. Very memorable shots between these two throughout this whole section. Yeah. Uh, very intimate shots as well. And he asks, he asks Jill to look around, and he's, uh, you know, she see the the specters swirling around her. And you know, throughout this, she's able to realize that you know the escape is the, the escape that she was looking for is just a nightmare. So she realizes that <clears throat> it's not exactly what she was looking for. She probably couldn't have sustained it. Yeah, it's you not know, the future that she wanted. You know, I like that he actually let them, you know, uh, half, yeah. half possess her before he, you know, uh, swipes them away. You know, as a, as a way to further his point. <clears throat> yeah, casual possession. I like that he. The way he describes this place is also interesting. He feels incredibly in control of the situation, considering, you know, just a minute ago he was scared of her coming around a rock. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't yeah. know if he was really scared uh, so much as, you know... Well, it was uh, more like say. an animal, you know. It, yeah, yeah, reflex. It, like, it's yeah. like, something's coming. Yeah. In. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to skirt past as he's described. I like how he has a personal description of the interstice, you know, what it's like to live by these, you know, creatures that are, uh, you know... Fueled by negative negative emotions, constantly surrounded by them, yeah. as well. Yeah. Well, he also I like how he also in, initially tries to brush her off with the whole, you know, get lost. I killed yeah. Fred. You almost died plenty of times, but she calls him out and says, like, I saw you, you know, uh, save me by knocking the goo yeah. on me. And he just sort of has, you know, he has this stern sort of frown <laughs> in response yeah. to that. Where it's like, yeah, I did do that. And Puck, and- even Puck, didn't realize that he had done that purposefully. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, some some amount of um, repayment is done there. Yeah, for their relationship. And then guts, you know, cloaks her, uh, puts her in this in this cloak, and it's not it's not a paradise for you to escape to. He says and looks down at her. And um, here, it's just a great moment here. Yeah, here he looks, you know, like he looks human again. He looks finally, yeah. Yeah, he looks almost kind, you know, like. When he talks to her, tell her that you know there's no, no future for her with him, you know. Right. And uh, I, I like how he words things, you know, like uh, in battlefields, you know, that mm-hmm. you know there's just a battlefield and she has to stick to her own battlefield. It's uh, it's very like it shows where he comes from, you know, as, as a mercenary. 
Yeah. It's the same terminology he used to describe, you know, to Rickert when he was trying to cover up why he left to go with the Black Swordsman. Yeah. It's also, I mean, I, I really like the symbolism of him walking and, like, basically all the, the nightmares yeah. sort of surrounding him and following him. And, you know, it's just very cool. And she's back in the, what looks like the fog, you know, just screaming for him. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of powerful imagery for such small panels. Like, it almost, you can actually almost hear what it must sound like in yeah. if it was a written yeah. movie. And, and I like that he leaves with a ghost in tow and... Uh, it you know feels like you know he almost feels like the skull knight here you know yeah totally like that kind of you know leaving and there's a fog behind you know uh, leaving with some kind of you know obscure uh, you know uh, advice mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then we have this reflective scene that it reminds me a lot of the end of the uh, conviction arc uh, after Griffith's incarnation yeah because they're reflecting on things. And to me, it just really cements that this whole section was about Jill growing up and, and able to accept the the evils of the adult world, and, and but able to move past, don't cower behind it. She's talking about how the geography's changed, the mist is clearing away, drawn out by the pushed out by the fire, um, and that she'll, even though she doesn't have wings, she'll crawl on the ground, but she'll make it through somehow. I like what and, she says uh, about the sky, you know, like, you know, there's no clear sky, which is, you know, more savage and lonely, cold, but, you know, it's more vivid, you know, it's a, it's like more a, a truer sky, you know, compared mm-hmm. to what was there before. Hmm. And she talks about the cocoon having, you know, washed away her innocence, which is a very symbolic gesture. Yeah. But I think it was also the experience of this entire thing, of course. She's just kind of internalizing that moment. Uh, Jill Puck asks her if she'll be okay, she'll be okay alone, and Jill finally has the confidence to say that she probably will be. I wonder if she was inspired by guts here in that final panel that she'll I crying think. and shouting and biting her way through. Yeah, I think so, actually. <clears throat> yeah. Puck nods and just uh, gives her a small gift to you know stab a Zepic with. I don't quite see it, what it is. But... Well, he gives her a, one bloody needle, you know, oh, is and, it? <laughs> and, and one package of uh, of elf dust, so, you know, it's a... Uh... Oh, I see, she's holding the bloody needle in the next panel. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's funny. And it's a great shot of Puck, you know, asking why she, why he continues to travel with him. And he just calls him an idiot. He can't be left without me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> she's about to start her own battle, she says, as the episode ends. You know, actually, as I was reading this, I reminded a lot of, um, what's her name, in the Dreamcast game. The ending of the Dreamcast game is very similar to this one. Rita, Rita, yeah. 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 The kind of the conclusions that Rita reaches as well, and also just the way it ends, it just reminds me a lot of that. Well, I think um, Mirai inspired himself a bit from from that, too. Yeah. To create the scenario of that game, yeah. That is the end of Lost Children. Hope you guys enjoyed it. You know, if we, I don't turn, have much... if we turn the page over, though, it starts something pretty interesting. No, okay. <laughs> it's a great point to end, and it's a great episode we'll start on. And, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of cool stuff moving forward. Volume 16, bleeding directly into Volume 17, is one of my favorite sections. So we'll do that in a couple weeks. But thanks for jo- tuning in, guys, and we'll be back in a couple weeks to talk about the next section of Berserk. Berserk News! Um, Berserk is the number one horror manga on, on Amazon, 
which is a, is a bit of a downgrade from where it was last time we recorded when it was the number two, effectively the number one selling manga on Amazon.com. But uh, it, it's still in the top ten. It's number eight, I think, right now. Uh, and volumes one and two are both in the top twenty. So I guess it's it's only I only note it that Berserk is still hanging in there, uh, in spite of you know very popular series like Attack on Titan sell very well domestically. But Berserk's still hanging in there in the top twenty. So that's great to see the resurgence of popularity for our favorite series. I don't have anything else really. Hold out hope for a special deluxe re-release, which I, that's never going to happen. But <laughs> I don't know. Domestically, I doubt it. I yeah. mean, I, I don't. I don't think the product that we get is even comparable to what we get in Japan. You know, like for example, the uh, the the magazine the cover flap of the Japanese version has a little you know piece of art when you open up the page. Yeah. Open up the volume. I mean, you don't get that. Jacket. You know. It's... That's the word. Dust jacket. I couldn't remember the name. Yeah. Well, you know, I think there's uh, there's room for a deluxe edition, but yeah, when will it come is the big question. And also, like, will it really be up to par? You know, to well, even if they yeah, if they improved all the quality, you'd still want it to be retranslated. Yeah, well, I think that's a that's a must, a retranslation, and and of course, yeah, maybe bigger. You know, same format as Young Animal, and uh, and I guess uh, <clears throat> with better quality paper and uh, printing. One day, Skull Knight Publishing will uh, will get on. <laughs> yeah, well, I was say, I keep dreaming. Like, yeah. what's, how else, what else can we dream up? Yeah, one can dream. Well, you know, well, when are we gonna make our own Hollywood Berserk movie? You know, it's, it's <laughs> gonna be true to every single panel. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be easier to you know to print uh, a manga than a, yeah, you know, much I mean, much easier, but yeah. still, uh, still a bit too. Complicated for now. <laughs> yeah, there was a Reddit thread about that uh, a month ago. The guy said, "So I want to print Berserk. I want to make better translations. So where do I start? I got some money. I run a small business. Let's do it. Show me, show me where to start. Let's just, let's just do, let's do this. Let's throw down and make Berserk perfect. Like I, I admire the guy's ambition, but it's you could tell he didn't quite know where to begin in the, the publishing world. Probably a bit more ambitious than that. Yeah. To license it, to translate it." To print it on mass. I like well, that. I know. Who do I give the money to? Here's the money. Exactly. Who's who's the guy? Tell me the guy. I'll give him a check. The Don't thing give me the is, you know, I think translating and printing is yeah, it's really just a matter of money. The the big part is uh, the licensing rights. You know, that's uh, that's the thing. The rest can be managed. And it's likely that I mean, if we're talking seriously about this, it's likely that Dark Horse has exclusive domestic rights for Zerk. I doubt well, they could re, re, Hakusensha would relicense it to a different company because yeah, it would invite competition. Be like, uh, privately, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you can license it for New Zealand, Mexico, yeah, New Zealand or Luxembourg. You know, sure. I don't think sure. it's being released there, so you know, and I guess it could be ordered online. Maybe you know, international shipping. Oh, why not? There's always ways around these things. Yeah. Uh, that's the show. I would like to talk about Avengers 2, but I haven't seen it yet. Uh, M, you're on the call, and Griff, you're on the call, and if it was just me or Azeal, we would have had a Avengers 2 section, but alas. Oh, well. It can wait. <laughs> yeah. I'm not I'm not disheartened by what I've read on uh, posts, just on your posts. Like, I... It sounds like a fun movie, and that's all I ever expected out of this. Yeah. You know, I didn't expect to be blown away. You know, it's just a 
summer action flick, and that's enough for me. I was disappointed it's not the best movie ever. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, other than that, though, I I had a good time. Cool. It is a fun movie, yes, definitely. But you know, I I think in a sense for me it was the expectations because I really liked the first one a lot. So maybe it's on me because I went with very, very high expectations. and then well, it mm-hmm. it's, it's funny you mention that because it's like I, I kind of liked – I thought this one was better, but I liked the first one better. <laughs> exactly. Know? So, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a bit yeah, weird in a sense, but it, it is like that for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think anyone expected Avengers to be such a, as, a, as fun a movie mm-hmm. as it was, so – you know, doing it a second time is more difficult. Well, and there's also yeah. the fact, you know, the first time you get all the guys together, that's, uh, you know, that's what's special. Yeah, the novelty of it, you yep. know, and yep. just the fact that, you know, it's sort of a celebration of that, too. And here, there's there's none of that. Which is actually, I think, to this movie's benefit, that, you know, that's actually one of the strengths, <laughs> that you don't have to, you know, do all the... Yeah. You know, hey, we're, we're together. <laughs> <laughs> so you're the Hulk. That's right. <laughs> you well, know, you know... I guess one of the best parts of the first movie is uh, when uh, Iron Man and Thor, you know, get uh, at each other. Oh yeah, yeah, and, totally. Uh, and right. Captain America breaks it up. Yeah, so I guess you know that kind of thing is uh, is pretty magical, and you know that's also part of why maybe I don't know you liked that better than this one. Yeah, it's like you can't yeah, you I can't mean, do that again. The, you know, you can't do that twice. It was by, you know, uh, that was a special thing. You know, where it was like people were waiting years and years and years for that. Even just the movie fans were waiting for years for that to happen. I the the, the power of the first movie wasn't Loki and his endless horde of loser people <laughs> fighting in the city. That was the worst part of the whole movie. The whole his the best part soldiers. was <laughs> yeah the character interactions and seeing all that yeah. stuff on the, the hero I, side was the best. I actually wish the, the loser soldiers, like you say, had been bare, you know, because that would have made for for a really cool movie, maybe one for the books, you know? Yeah. Sure. Alas. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks for hanging out as long as you did. You're free. No problem. <laughs> Thank you. It was, uh, it was really fun. Always a pleasure. Yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks for hanging out with so, us. Yeah. Thanks to you for coming up. Uh, Yes, I, I usually listen to the podcast, and I sometimes I want to interject, and it's not possible. And then this time it was, so it was fantastic. <laughs> no, I'm glad I'm glad you did interject when yeah. you did. We often have very quiet guests, and you spoke up quite a bit, so I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah. If you have questions, you should always just pause them in the threads. You know, what they're for. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm a bit shy. <laughs>